Hello everyone, uh, welcome to ITSS Verona and uh, my name is Carlotta. I'm one of the members of the China and Asia research team. Um, today we're going to talk about um, the Belt and Road Initiative, and uh, which is the massive infrastructure project, project initiated by China that is stretching all the way from East Asia to Europe. Uh, most of all, today I would like to welcome Alice Politi, who is uh, with us today to talk about the project. Um, she is a PhD candidate at the Lao China Institute at King's College London. So welcome. Uh, her research project is focused on the economic, geopolitical and security implication of the Belt and Road Initiative on Europe and on the Mediterranean region. So thank you for being here today with us. Thank you, Carlotta. So, thank you very much. So I will start with our first question, which is related to the pandemic, of course, and the Belt and Road Initiative. So I would like to know, in your opinion, uh, what do you think is the impact of the pandemic on the Belt and Road Initiative and how the project evolved uh, over the past year? Um, so the COVID-19 pandemic has caused uh, considerable financial distress for the Belt and Road Initiative participant countries, uh, many of which are relatively small economies with less possibilities to take on new debt financing. Uh, however, the overall slowdown caused by COVID is expected to be manageable for banks and Chinese companies involved in the Belt Road Initiative. Uh, there has been a notable decline in the value of Chinese-led new investments in Belt Road Initiative countries. And this is mainly attributed to greater economic and financial pressure faced by participating countries, many of which um, tend to have a quite concentrated um, economy, whether it's um, in commodities or tourism. Um, therefore, we've seen a rise in financial distress affecting uh, BRI-related projects that we can't expect to obviously disappear in 2021. And some Belt Road Initiative participant countries have sought uh, financial support from the International Monetary Fund or uh, debt relief from G20 lenders. And those countries include like uh, Pakistan, uh, Tanzania, Zambia, and, Ang and Angola, for example. And uh, moreover, another consequences of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic are uh, um, projects delays and also due to the closure of borders, therefore limiting obviously international movement and credit strains um, and project delays faced by uh, these countries could also cause financial losses to uh, Chinese entities with large exposure to, pro uh, to projects under the umbrella of the Belt Road Initiative, such as uh, China Development Bank or uh, um, the Export Import Bank of China. And however, like, in general, it seems that the overall damage uh, will be manageable for the banks and other Chinese companies involved. Thank you so much. Uh, now I wanted to move to the Western reaction uh, that was seen uh, towards the project. So uh, the Belt and Road Initiative was uh, welcomed by a very strong criticism in the West and particularly in the United States, of course, where it was uh, defined a debt trap uh, form of diplomacy uh, especially in cases as we have seen in uh, Sri Lanka. Um, so to what extent do you think these claims are actually justified and do you see any form of uh, Western bias in these claims? 
Um, so I believe the expression that trap is, uh, is not really justified. Uh, first of all, for a quite simple fact that, uh, why is the word trap portrays obviously manipulative or secretive scenario? The Belt and Road Initiative is actually consensual. Uh, the bilateral agreements signed in the framework of the Belt and Road Initiative are uh, always, uh, mutually consensual. And then obviously, um, there are financial risks and uh, implications that can come with the, with the agreements and that should be considered, but there is no trap. Uh, China is often successful to, um, is often successful in appealing to, uh, willing counterparts, which don't consider themselves to be like, uh, victims or don't fear loss of their international sovereignty. And, the case of the port of Hambantota in Sri Lanka that you mentioned um, actually supports this argument as the choice of accepting Chinese loans to build the port in Hambantota was not uh, forced, but consensual and um, motivated by domestic politics reasons as the government in power at that time um, needed to uh, raise political consensus uh, domestically. So the Belt and Road uh, Initiative project was uh, initially um, uh, initiated by the uh, recipient government, which uh, pursued its own domestic agendas. And obviously, uh, political economy uh, dynamics and governance problems on both sides have led to um, poorly conceived and managed poorly managed projects. And um, these have resulted in substantial negative economic, political, environmental, and social consequences that are now forcing China to um, adjust its uh, Belt and Road Initiative approach. Um, however, host countries' governments should take greater responsibility in uh, evaluating potential projects to um, ensure their, vi uh, their viability and financial sustainability. And also the idea of the Belt and Road Initiative being a kind of um, master plan trapping countries in unsustainable debt is considered highly unlikely owing to the to some consideration. Um, first of all, economic factors are uh, the primary driver for uh, of current Belt and Road Initiative projects, and China's development financing system is too fragmented and poorly coordinated to pursue such detailed and pre-established strategic objectives. Um, Western policymakers have often described the narrative of the Belt and Road Initiative as a sort of uh, secret plan, uh, meticulously um, constructed by China, wanting to um, prey on victims which are not willing or unaware smaller and poorer countries. But however, this is um, contradicted by the fact that uh, if the Belt Road Initiative was a detailed master plan, um, its clumsiness and unmappability and unclear administration would mean that this precise plan was managed very inadequately uh, or that it was kept, I don't know, somehow secret even to the Chinese government's map makers. Therefore, more realistically, it is highly improbable that the Belt and Road Initiative is a detailed master plan driven by a malevolent intent. And I mean, I surely see some of the Western bias in these claims. 
um, there are different reasons uh, why for Western countries it is so difficult to detect this plausible fact-based explanation that the Belt and Road Initiative is not a manipulative master plan. Um, firstly, for uh, superpowers such as the US, uh, which fear the Chinese threat, it is more convenient to um, advertise a storyline of China being driven by a malicious plan to prey victim countries, rather than admitting that China is uh, rising as a superpower um, and is therefore claiming its strategic space, creating a zone where it can pursue its interests without the uh, intrusion of the United States. And secondly, Western countries feel a sense of angst um, in seeing the uh, ascent of a country as large as China, which has been uh, um, a less assertive actor for such a long time without contesting, contesting Western powers in the past. And Western actors find the fact that China is presenting an alternative to the Western model of progress and modernization quite challenging. Um, with the construction of a China threat policy frame emerging among think tanks and policymakers, therefore resulting in a kind of non-linear and biased narrative of the Belt and Road Initiative. Thank you so much. That was really interesting. And if I can add something, I do share your view, especially on the fact that this project is consensual. It's based on consensus. It's not something that uh, China is forcing on states. So that was really interesting. Thank you so much. Uh, I'll move on to the third question, which is more related to the geopolitical aspect of the Belt and Road Initiative. So the Malacca Dilemma is a term that was uh, coined by President Hu Jintao back in 2003 to describe uh, China's over-reliance on the Malacca Strait for its oil imports, uh, which today still represents 80% of China's oil imports coming from places like Angola or the Middle East. Um, so I wanted to ask if, in your opinion, the Belt and Road Initiative can really represent a solution for the Malacca Dilemma, so for China's over-reliance on the Malacca Strait. Um, so potentially it could. Uh, potentially the new energy routes that are being built under the Belt and Road Initiative umbrella could mitigate the consequences of a possible U.S. naval blockade of the Straits of Malacca, where uh, over 80% of China's energy supply transits. A, um, a functioning port at Guadara and a pipeline connecting it to China would theoretically allow China to uh, bypass the Straits of Malacca and therefore help is in this dilemma. Um, the Chinese government largely invested in CPEC and the economic corridor would provide China access to Pakistan's Gwadar port in the Arabian Sea. And the uh, Gwadar Xinjiang pipeline would then enable China to bypass the Malacca Strait. Um, Middle Eastern shipping tankers could uh, dock in Gwadar where the oil would be uh, extracted and further transported to China through a series of pipelines. And moreover, uh, even if this is obviously a more expensive option, uh, the Iran-Pakistan pipeline could also be linked to Qadar and potentially provide an additional avenue for energy imports and increased security of uh, its energy supply. Um, however, um, realistically, China will continue to remain dependent on the Malacca Strait, at least in the, in the short term. 
Thank you. And the last question, I, I think it's going to be the one uh, more related to your uh, research project at uh, the Lao China Institute. So could you please tell us what do you see as the future impact of the Belt and Road Initiative on Europe, but also on a post-Brexit uh, United Kingdom? Sure. So um, the Belt and Road Initiative potentially offers a lot to Europe. Uh, China is uh, attractive in terms of uh, capital and investment and addresses um, unmet needs within Europe. Um, as a diversification is... Um, as diversification is crucial to uh, the financial security for uh, Europe and the European Union, uh, finding such a vast new source of investment is obviously uh, a good opportunity, a positive opportunity. Um, however, questions of uh, values and cultural dissonance seems to affect the EU-Europe-China relationship, uh, creating a kind of uh, dual-track approach to the Belt and Road Initiative, generating divisions and differences uh, among European countries in how they um, engage with China. Because of uh, its size uh, and the relevance, of course, the EU and more generally Europe uh, works well as a trading partner and as a market for China. And this is shown also in the words of President Xi Jinping, who in 2014 described the Europe-China relationship as based on uh, civilizational partnership. And this expression encapsulates the cooperation between China and Europe and um, the ways in which they, they operate as intellectual partners. However, um, Chinese flows of trade and investments are received in an ambivalent way in Europe and in the European Union. On the one hand, this new source of financial support is uh, obviously recognized as a positive and, um, factor and as an in incentive to uh, economic growth. Um, Greece, for example, represents a successful case of uh, Belt and Road Initiative related Chinese investments in this sense. However, uh, even in this example, the uh, Chinese stakes in the port of Piraeus were suspected to be behind the effective vetoing of a resolution from the EU, uh, critical of Chinese human rights issues in June 2017. And even recently, I mean, with the comprehensive agreement on investments, we have seen the weight um, that the values issue has for Europe when dealing with China. And the EU sees itself as the, uh, the EU, but Europe also in general, as the holder of a certain set of values, um, which are uh, conceived and uh, like considered as kind of universal, such as uh, human rights or the notions, notions of rule of law. But on the other hand, the uh, Xi leadership has positioned, has positioned itself um, against uh, external imposed values, uh, which is a concept uh, linked with the idea of defending China's stability and security. And why is the Belt and Road Initiative is a concept that promotes flexibility and tolerance. It is also a way through which China uh, states its intentions and presents its own model of development abroad. The Belt and Road Initiative, therefore, offers, a, um, offers valuable opportunities to Europe in terms of trade and investments, uh, a field where Europe has a long-lasting cooperation as a partner with China, 
However, it seems that now the uh, issue of values has become even more important for Europe, also undermining the uh, more pragmatic cooperation between the two actors, so like risking to undermine the more pr pragmatic cooperation between the two actors. Um, this obviously risks to uh, reduce the space for a dialogue, even in those fields where solutions can logically be solved only through cooperation, such as climate change or pandemics, as we saw with COVID-19 pandemic. And regarding the impact on a post-Brexit UK, the Belter Road Initiative is uh, relevant on different levels. Um, even if for now uh, the UK is not uh, likely to be like the prime destination of the Belter Road Initiative project, the Belt Road Initiative um, projects impact on the uh, economic well-being of different countries, which are uh, uh, of strategic importance uh, to the to the UK. And moreover, in light of like Britain's relative kind of we can call it post-Brexit geopolitical isolation, um, Britain could be could be required to adopt a firmer stance on in dealing with China. Thank you so much. This was super interesting. Uh, thank you for joining us today and the best of luck with your uh, research projects for the future. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.